you wouldn't always know it. I'll say that, though. Uh, not from around here, but they, they moved up here in faith. We met, uh, they met Eric while they were engaged in the Evangelical Institute. That's in, what, South Carolina, right? Yeah. Um, they met down there, I think, for a prayer conference. And anyway, just the connection there, they wanted to come up here, and they wanted to um, just start their newlywed life um, on mission with the Lord. And so uh, we talked about when that started that they would intern and he would be preaching regularly. Uh, but just in the way kind of things laid out, um, he just hasn't, uh, we, we haven't had him up here to preach yet. They were getting settled in a lot of different ways, but <laughs> I'm really excited for today. So if you don't mind, um, I'm just going to pray for you here. Father God, I just thank you so much for your goodness. And Lord, we thank you for Taylor. Thank you for the calling that you have in his life. And Lord, we just, um, we just commit him into your hands as he brings the word. I pray that you fill him with your spirit, that you would um, speak to our hearts, Lord, with the message that he has prepared for us. Lord, we worship you and give you all of our attention. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's awesome to be up here speaking to you guys today. Um, I'm here not because I have a great Amish or Mennonite heritage. I'm not up here because um, I have a really big fancy degree with a lot of letters after my name. Um, I'm up here because of what we just sang about. Um, Jesus Christ died for my sins. Um, he took my place on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again. And the life that he lives is now living in me and living in us all together as a body. And that's why I can come to you and speak to get today because of what he's done. Um, apart from him, I'm nothing. I don't have anything to give you other than God's word. Uh, which is right in front of me. Um, and I just pray that this will be an encouragement to your guys' hearts. Um, you guys have all been so great. Thank you so much for how you've brought us in and made us part um, of the family here at Mercy Hill. Um, from uh, having us over for meals or even coming over to our place for meals, we've really enjoyed uh, getting connected to you guys and uh, thank you to my small church for letting me be my goofy self, um, and thank you uh, just for uh, being here today. Um, so let's get to uh, God's Word. The passage that we're going to be going to this morning is Psalm 42. Um, if you'd like to get your Bibles out uh, or flip it open on your phone, whatever you have. Psalm 42. A lot of ways, I kind of feel like Ashley kind of took some of what I was saying, and it's just really cool that the same stuff that she was saying that was on her heart to say, that's the same thing God is saying to me. So I just pray that God will make this message clear to our hearts. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, 
while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. This is your truth. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be accurate to what you've said. That I wouldn't say anything more than what you've said and I wouldn't say anything less than you've said. Lord, I pray that you would make this truth alive in our hearts, that you would make it real, that it would apply to our everyday lives as we go to work or school or um, eating, drinking, whatever we do, God. I pray that it would be um, enriching and that we would grow closer to you through this. Lord, we love you. We trust you uh, for what your word is going to do today. In Jesus' name, amen. What's the backstory for this chapter? There's a backstory to everything that's written. There's always um, a writer. There's always a historical context, a time and place where it was written. So I'm going to start in the very beginning and move rapidly through uh, biblical, the biblical timeline to get us to the point of this chapter, and hopefully it'll help us make better sense of what this chapter is saying. So in the beginning, God had already existed for all of eternity in the past. God is eternal. He's from eternity past. He is right now and he always will be. God exists outside of time. Let that blow your mind. <laughs> he lived before time. And then he created the heavens and the earth out of nothing but the power of his words. He intimately formed man and woman, creating them with his hands. And he placed them in the least stressful, least painful place in the whole world, a garden. Everything was good. And there was only one rule in this garden of 100,000 wonderful yeses. 
Only one rule, only one no. Just don't eat the fruit off of this tree over here. I'm going to show it to you. Just don't eat off of that one. There's a billion over here that you can eat from, but not that one. But man was tempted by Satan, and he fell. He chose to sin, rebelling against the good God who loved him, who had given him all these good gifts. See, before the fall, God had walked with man every day. After the fall, man was separated from God. Before the fall, man had everything he wanted provided for him by God. But now he had to work to provide for himself. Because of Adam's Adam's sin, he was cast out of the garden. And now we are all born separate from this closeness with God because of Adam's and because of our sin. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. God promised a way for us to come into fellowship with him. The final eternal punishment would have to be paid. God never changes his mind. There had to be a death, an eternal punishment paid for our sin. In the Old Testament, God gave us gave the Israelites a picture of what he was going to do in the future. He set up the temple. This was the place where he would show his presence, similarly to the way he did in the garden. But because of sin, something would have to die so that that fellowship with God could be restored. And that's where the priests come in. If you've ever read through the book of Leviticus and all the ceremonial laws and all the different animals and you're supposed to slaughter them this way and then you do this and that and this and that and then you throw the blood on this and that and um, it was a whole ritual and that was so that we could the Israelites could be cleansed and come back into fellowship with God. Once a year the priest would kill a sheep and go into the Holy of Holies where God was to temporarily cover the sins of Israel and that's what the festivals uh, were about. They're, every year they would have these big um, festivals where they'd be uh, excited, looking forward to that time of being able to come back to God. And that's what the psalmist is saying in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, lead them in procession to the house of God, that's the temple, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. That's the ceremonial festival that Uh, was going on there. So the priest would go in with the lamb. And when Jesus came, he took up this imagery. John the Baptist said, called him the lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. Not just the sin of the people of Israel was Jesus taking away, but he was taking all of our sin, all of our shame on the cross. So let's go back to the Old Testament, back to this passage here. And we're going to zoom in to the story of Saul and David. Israel was supposed to be ruled by God alone. The prophets spoke God's word to the people in a thus saith the Lord style. The priests were meant to speak to God on the people's behalf, constantly preparing these sacrifices so that the people could be in relationship with God. But the people got tired of that, and they begged the prophet Samuel to anoint not another prophet or a priest, but a king. And Samuel went to God and asked him about it. 
And God said, they're rejecting me for something that they think will be better. But, greedy, but kings tend to become greedy and lead people away from me and tax people. But the people insisted on getting an earthly king. And God decided to let them do what they wanted. And he gave them a king, King Saul. Saul did good for a while, but then he decided to try to take over the role of a priest, bringing a sacrifice before God. Now that was something that God had only reserved for the priests, and therefore he rejected Saul as king. Soon after that, uh, God decided to choose David to become king, and Samuel anointed David king over Israel, even though Saul was still ruling. So you can see there would be tension there. Saul and David, they're both kings, but Saul's actually ruling, and David is the one that God is blessing. And so Saul decides that he is going to try to kill David. And so David ends up running away from Saul. And you read all through First and Second Chronicles and um, the books of the kings as well uh, in the Old Testament how David is running away from Saul because uh, God chose David to be king instead of Saul. So where does this chapter fit into our story? See, David wasn't alone. He had a group of warriors as well as some of the sons of Korah. You might see that in your, uh, in your Bible up to the top. It might say, to the choir master, a song of the sons of Korah. Um, this, these sons of Korah were the priests who were in charge of the music in the temple in Jerusalem. So David is on the run. He has these sons of Korah, these priests with him. Um, and this priest writes this psalm to God as he's uh, running. So let's look at this, uh, this guy, the man who wrote this psalm. We don't know his name. Uh, but we know that he is a son of Korah, so I'm just going to call him Korah, um, just to make it simpler. So this man, he didn't have the same social status, he didn't have the same location, or even the same emotional state to where he used to be in the past. But we will see by the end that he came around to a victorious hope in his saving God. First of all, his social status he used to lead the worship of God with the people, but now people are mocking him for worshiping God. If you look down at your Bibles at verse 4, uh, it says that he would lead them in procession. He would lead a whole crowd of people in worship. But then if you look over in verse 10, it says, My adversaries taunt me. They say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Where is the God that you used to worship? He's not with you. He doesn't care about you anymore. He has a different social status. He used to be uh, leading, and now he's being mocked. Where is your God? Why isn't God protecting you from Saul? If God was real, if God had really anointed David as king, then David wouldn't have to run away from Saul. We have the temple. We have God. You can't come here to Jerusalem because we'll kill you. Why hasn't God given you the victory if he's on your side? These are real thoughts, real emotions 
from this writer. As well as having a different social status, he has a different location. His location was far away from where he used to find God. Jerusalem was where he learned to worship God. It was where the temple was. But now he's miles away, unable to go to the temple. He's unable to get the same excitement or joy about God that he used to have because he's so far away. The psalm was written when they were in the upper region of Israel. If you look with me uh, to verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Now Mount Mizar is about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's down south. Mount Mazar is almost the furthest point of Israel that you could get away from Jerusalem. That's a long way away. Imagine if you were 150 miles away from here, from your hometown, and you'd run on foot the whole way there. And there's no cars, there's only horses. And you ha only, the only way to get back would be to, to run back or to get a horse and come back. That's a long way to go. It's about three hours by car, but back then that would have been days and days of travel just to get back. Have you ever had thoughts like, if God is always with me, then why do I feel like he's a million miles away? If God is with me right now, why do I feel like he doesn't care? It doesn't seem like I'm having any victory. In the Old Testament, people had to go to Jerusalem to be with God. Being separated from that place would have meant separation from God. But now, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God is with us. He's in us, actually. In the Old Testament, people had to go through a priest to come to God. But now... We are a kingdom of priests to our God, as Hebrews says. We are able to be closer to God than the Old Testament priests now because we have the Holy Spirit in us. But the devil doesn't want us to be close to God. He wants us to feel that God is far away from us. But you know what? You can trust God to meet where you where you are. God is with you. You do have the Holy Spirit in you. You do have God living with you right now. You may not feel like it, but it's true. It's so true. This guy had a different social status. He had a different location. And he had different emotions. He had different feelings than he used to. He used to have so much joy, glad shouts and songs of praise. But now he's crying all the time. Verse 3 says, My tears have been my food day and night, crying all the time, because he feels so far away from God. His soul is in turmoil. His soul is roaring. His soul is crying aloud and mourning. His soul is tumultuous. It's troubled. So if that's how your soul feels, if you feel troubled, if you feel like you're going through 
tumult, then let's look at what he did about that, where he turned. This man was needing to be filled, and he knew that his strong God had the power to reach down and fill the thirst that he needed saving from. There's a theme that runs through this chapter, and I'll be walking us through it. Um, it's kind of it's a theme of water throughout it. And the psalmist compares God to water throughout the whole thing. Um, it starts in the very beginning and goes to the end. So we'll, let's just start off with this uh, one thing with the, the psalmist. In verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. Tears are salty. <laughs> if you've been drinking your tears day and night, you'll be thirsty not just because of the, the salt that's getting into your system, but also because of the water that you're losing from uh, out of your eyes. And this writer has been filled with tears day and night. What he's crying out now is that God would fill him with the thing that he needs. He needs to be filled with the re refreshing God. What is the writer going to do to get refilled? He's going to cry out to God. But how does he see God? Who does he say that God is? So we're going to start in verse 1. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Flowing streams. A stream has a source, often a fountain near the top of a, of a mountain, and the water makes its way down the hill, going to the lowest spot. The stream flows from the heights to the lows. And God is like that. You see, God is on high, and he reaches down like a stream of water to the lowest spot, down to us when we are down, when we're depressed, when we're afraid of being alone. God can reach down from heaven to your circumstance where you're at in your situation. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. What makes a waterfall so beautiful? Have you ever been to the top of a waterfall? At the top the water is peaceful, the water is gentle, a lot of times it's clear, it's beautiful. But as soon as the water hits the edge of the cliff and goes over, it starts splitting apart and turning white, and at the bottom it's all foamy and rushy and um, it's turbulent in the bottom. In the same way, God is kind of like a waterfall. It's a picture that the writer is thinking of. He's coming down from the peaceful height of heaven to come and be with us down in the turbulent waters of our life. That turmoil that this writer's soul was in, God was coming down to meet him there. Let's go back to verse 7, the second half. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, this is a little bit tricky, but how does, how does a wave work? Waves 
Waves work um, like this. They break when they approach the shore and they reach shallower water. The decreasing water depth causes the wave to come up and get bigger and bigger and then eventually crash over and cause the lower, the lower uh, sand area makes the wave go up and go over. In the same way, God does that in our life. As he comes closer and closer to our life, to our shallow little lives that um, are very small compared to his because he's eternal, right? He's great. He's powerful. He's the eternal one. As he comes closer, he becomes bigger in a lot of ways. He's always the same, but as he gets closer to our shallow lives, we can see how big he is. I think it's just an interesting picture there. So, is God close to you? Do you have a big view of God? If you say that you know him, but your view of him is small, either you haven't known him very long, or maybe you're not growing, I'm not sure what's going on, but you can grow. You can grow in your knowledge of him. You can grow in your, the way that you see him. You just have to seek him. You have to think, look at some of these verses and think about who God is. See, he is like a waterfall that will come down from heaven to you. All right. There's another thing that's, that's in here, and that is uh, a repetition. And that's kind of, I'm trying to wrap it up with this, this last point. Sometimes you have to remind yourself of truth over and over again until you get it, because you just don't feel it. You know that God's good, but you don't feel that God's good. You know that God loves you, but you need to just keep saying it to yourself, because you can, I know from experience, I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, yeah, God loves me, whatever. But God does love me, you know, and I need to keep repeating it to myself over and over, and eventually I can get myself to a place where I actually believe it down in my soul again instead of just in my mind. So I'm just going to read through this psalm and and. and point out some things as we go through it. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. His desire is for God. That's what his soul wants. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So this is the first time he's talking to his own soul. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. See, he preaches it to this hope to himself. He says, God will be with you. He is your salvation. He is your God. Remember this. Trust in this. Hope in it. This hope is not just something, it's not saying, oh, well, I hope God will come meet me, but it's God will come meet me. Therefore, I have hope. God will meet me. Therefore, I can have hope. I can have peace where I'm at. But as soon as he says that, he switches back around and he says, my soul is cast down. He's back down in the dumps immediately after he says that. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. All he's doing there is just saying, I feel like I'm a million miles away from you, God. He's being very honest with God, which is something that we can be this morning with God. We can be honest. He's not afraid of us saying, God, I feel like you're a million miles away from me right now. He's not afraid of you saying that uh, your soul is cast down and that you need him. And then he's starting to try to remind himself more of God. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And this is kind of one of the key verses of the chapter. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. See, in verse 3, his tears have been his food day and night. But in verse 8, he's saying, by day and by night, God is commanding his steadfast love. He's singing over me. He loves me day and night. I might be crying day and night. I might be down day and night. But God is with me day and night. He's loving me day and night. But then as soon as he says that, he's back down in the dumps again. And he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? See, now he's starting to move a little bit closer because now he's actually talking to God. This is the first time he talks to God, specifically in verse 9. He's, he's talking to God. He's actually praying. He's talking to God. He's saying, God, I feel like you've forgotten me. It's okay to talk to God and say, I feel like you're not there. I feel like you've forgotten me. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? These people are against me. They're making fun of me. They don't like me. As with a deadly boned wound in my bones... My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? This last verse is really cool because the psalm ends here. And I think in a lot of ways, this is like the climax of the chapter. This is the big ending point right here. Because he finally preaches to himself and then there's nothing. There's quiet. There's silence. There's nothing after this. He doesn't keep writing about how, how he's distraught and how he's down. This 
he preaches to himself, and finally he gets it. After all this time of trying to remind himself, remind himself, he's been down, he's been up, he's been down, he's been trying to get himself back to God. He finally gets it. In verse 5, he, he says the exact same thing. But in verse 5, he's shaky. He's still not sure. He's saying the words, but it's not actually real. But in verse 11, he says it with a lot more force, um, believing it to be true. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love over you. He's your savior. He's your God. He is strong. The psalmist needed a stream that was never ending to supply his thirst, and he found it. Do you feel like you need a waterfall of grace for your life? You can find it this morning. You can trust God. You can hope in God. You will again praise him. You might not feel like praising him right now, but there will be a day where you feel like it again. There will be a day. I can't say when, but I know for sure in heaven you'll be praising him because he'll be there. And all the troubles of this life and all the distress, all the turmoil, all the people that make fun of you, they'll be gone and God will be your central focus and he'll be there with you. Are you thirsty for God? He wants to come to you. He wants to give you himself. He wants you to know that he is close to you this morning. He does love you this morning. No matter what your friends might say about God, he is real. He does love you. He does see your pain. You can hope in your strong and saving God. Hope. This isn't I hope God will come, but God will come. Therefore, I can have hope and peace because he's my satisfying stream of living water. Let's pray. God, we trust you. Um, Lord, you are uh, so satisfying. God, I just, um, I pray for people here who are down today. We feel like no matter what, it's just despair. Um, it seems so dark right now to them. God, I pray that you would lift us up. God, I've been preaching that God loves them, but they need to kind of preach it to themselves. Um, God, I pray that you would open hearts to receive your great love this morning. Um, that all of us together would be able to receive your love. Lord, thank you that you sing with you, with us. Thank you that your love never changes, never fails, never runs out. Thank you that it is finished, Jesus, that we can run to your blood, we can run to your cross, and we can find forgiveness for all of our sin, that we can find peace. 
God, I pray that you would free us from um, these tears, that you would comfort us in the tears. Lord, we just want to praise you again and worship you again. Jesus, thank you for uh, your blood and for your body that was shed for us. God, as we walk down this this aisle in a little bit, I pray that it would be in faith and that it would be in hope. Um, just trusting that you are with us, God. That you do love us. Lord, the cross is the proof that you love us. And I thank you for that. Thank you that Nothing can change that. Amen. On the night that Jesus.